2: You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all
0: work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow, wherever you are.
1: Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have spoken with each other and, uh, and they forget what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're, both of them are keen to to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas,
3: he get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their f-ing just
2: for 10 years. All right, Connor, I want to start with the spit season uh, motion that was passed at Congress. It's the only Congress motion. We're going to talk about because, you know, obviously it was last weekend and um, we, we did a good bit on it last Thursday. So the split season is passed. Now, this is what's kind of uh, bothering me a little bit, is that all Ireland finals to move to July and be played on the 29th Sunday of the year or the 30th if New Year's Day falls on a Sunday or whatever. Right. So that's fine. So, like, I mean, I need to understand what exactly this split season is going to look like. I was under this kind of illusion that every county would then start their club championship on August the 1st. And we would have a proper split season as in inter-county until the end of July, club for the rest. And that goes across every county. That's what split season means to me. Now, the more I think about it and the more I inquired about it, none of that is set in stone at all. So, for example, any county is more than entitled to, if they get knocked out of the championship in June, start their club championship in June. Any county is entitled to start it in July if they want. There's nothing to prevent them from doing that. And we know that's probably what will happen. If that happens, Connor, number one, club players in those counties will never know when their championship starts, because you never know how far your county's gonna go. So they have no certainty on when their club championship starts. And number two, if one county starts in June, another county starts in August, there's a huge discrepancy in when they finish up their championships and when the provincial championships start. So I was really disappointed. I went searching for this. Like, was there any kind of, you know, attached attachment to this motion to, to kind of, you know, specify when club championships need to start? And there's not. And I, I got some confirmation um, from Croke Park that that hasn't, and they said that that level of planning hasn't started yet and they see it being up to counties to strike their own balance. I don't know, Connor. I can see this not being what we we hoped it would be um, in the future.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's a little disappointing when you have the good news of the split season, which I think everybody we we certainly spoke about how we advocated for it, and I think a lot of people would have been glad that to see it introduced in Congress. And then maybe to find out that when you drill down a bit into it, as you have, that there's um there's a lot of kind of ambiguity there, and there's 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 maybe a lack of clarity about what it, what it will involve. So I suppose the way I come at it is that like I I'm the same as you in that like if you have a if you have a start date for um, club championships across the board, the one thing that really annoyed club players, for example, was that lack of. That lack of knowledge when, you know, to, to, to be able to plan their season. Right. So granted, some counties are going to go out um, earlier than others, for example. But if you I I, I don't know why and, and maybe um, individual counties will come back and say there's huge problems if they're not able to, to start their championship for a certain date. But I know if I'm a club player and I'm told at the start of the year that like, well, listen, the club championship is definitely starting on the 1st of August, for example, as you said. And then these are your dates. Absolutely set and stone. Do you know what I mean? This is going to happen no matter what. Uh, there would be a certain amount of comfort that, in, that, in that and that you can plan around. And then like... Well, we, thought, so- we, we, we actually thought that was the whole premise of the split
2: season. As it turns out now that the split season for, for every county that hasn't made the Super 8s, you know, which is 20, 20, what, 24 counties. Nothing really changes with this split season because they'll have been out before July anyway. So, like, this split season has been championed by everybody, but it's not, a, it's not I don't think it It might not end up being what people had hoped.
0: Yeah, no, no from, from what you said there, like, exactly. It, it doesn't seem that, that that might be the case. But, like, I, I was kind of looking at it from a kind of a, uh, I don't know a point of view where if, if 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 there was some sort of uniformity across the board and everybody could agree on that, and then like if you go out earlier, like what's to stop you? What's to stop you maybe from playing? You know, every 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 county has some sort of kind of preseason to to a degree. With well, like, your club
2: your your club league should should definitely. be run. And you, your club your club league can be played in June and July because some people would have a, a fairly legitimate concern. Oh, your county's out in June and now your cl- club players are sitting idle in July, you know, and yeah. having to wait till August. That's fine. But play your county league and plan it so that your county league is finishing up in the first or second week in July and then a two week break and then championship. That's not that hard. I'm just a little bit concerned that that's not what's that is not what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, well, the one thing I'd say about that, Willie, is then are you not denying, uh, is, in some counties, are you not denying county players being able to play in their leagues? And there would be certain certain counties where, you know, their championship status are, you know, are tied into how they go in the league and stuff like sure, that's, that. That's the case now. Like, you won't fix that. It's either a split season.
2: I, yeah. It's either a split season on inter-county and club championship. I think that's the best compromise everybody's going to be able to find here. Club league is enough to keep club players ticking over, you know, May, June, July and then everybody start their championship. I don't know. I think that's that's just how I saw the split season. And maybe I was being a little bit naive. And I just saw when it was passed, I went looking to see, you know, have they specified this now so that it would be uniform across the whole country? And they didn't. And what's really kind of bothering me here, Connor, is that when you think about all these issues that could arise from this, wouldn't it be nice if the club players had a voice and had a union? Well, they're not going to have that because the CPA are too busy after clapping themselves on the back. They're after taking credit for fixing the fixtures. When, let's be honest, even though I was a huge supporter of the CPA, they made little or no difference. The only thing that changed the split season was the unique year we had last year with with the coronavirus. And they're after disbanding. It's like our work here is done. Like, yeah. I mean. This this is just beyond belief. There's plenty of issues going to arise out of this split season, and they've they've vanished off after uh, I'll read out a bit in a minute, but they've vanished after kind of congratulating themselves.
0: I don't think it's fair to say that they took credit for Wooly, To be fair, they said they said this week that like they've they achieved their ambition. There they, there was no kind of they didn't say that their ambition came about solely because of them. Do you know what I mean? Like,
2: wait a minute. Well, I give it here's Michal briodi who yeah. said. Our executive changed at times, but over the years we were singular in our objective. We achieved our objective. No, you didn't achieve your objective. Your objective was achieved yeah. due to a really unique year. The GA had been kind of dismissing the CPA nearly every single Thing they tried. And again, I would have been critical of the GEA in that. I just don't understand why this, why, why did the CPA Here the said in their statement four years ago, we presented the split season to senior officials in Croke Park and we were told it would never work and that we were asking too much for the club. Like, I mean, just, I was talking about the split season eight years ago. Like, I mean, this wasn't something they just brought to Croke Park and suggested. You know, I, I don't know. And then for them to have this big meeting and say our our work here is done, for me, I didn't really like it.
0: Well, I'll quote you another line. So I think this could be me (laughs) as well. And he said, we've always said, said it is about what is right, not who is right. So eventually the way I looked at it was was that ultimately the, uh, the, 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 their target was achieved, maybe not necessarily by them, because let's be honest about it. The reason we came to a split season is because of a completely, it was a pandemic. That you know caused the unique circumstances of last year that led to its split season. Everybody realized it was brilliant, and we should do this on a more permanent basis. But I think it's unfair to say that the CPA took credit for. It. Like, I, like I, I was usually in favour of what the CPA. But, think,
2: did. but do you not think that disbanding after it happened? It's like you know, well, I, I thought that kind of,
0: I don't know, I thought that was CPA kind of. That worry is that like they've consistently tried to raise issues at a national level, for example, whereas uh, we we've, we've just talked about it now. Is that the is that the arrangement and organization of club structures is going to, as it always has, but like you know, it's 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 going to be it's going to be at the behest of individual county boards. So they they I, I suppose the CPA probably think that they don't they don't want to get involved in local politics. I I don't know, but yeah,
2: I, no, they were you know they were getting involved in local politics and they had some issues with county boards having that autonomy and for these fixtures not to be centralized. And all these issues still remain. All of these issues still remain. You could have a club player in Tipperary or wherever, any county that's knocked out early, um, they might not be in the hurling, that starts their club championship in June. And now they're finished it in mid-September. And the, the, the teams that play in the all Ireland Final aren't finished till mid-October. And that's when the provincial championships start. So the, so one county has a one-month lag until that happens and the other doesn't. And instead of centralising the fixtures and the CPA saying, right, this is a huge positive um, you know, development for the club player, but we're not done yet. Now, they won't be overburdened with work because like, I mean, this isn't coming into effect, you know, until maybe not next year or the year after, depending on the championship structure. And like, I mean, if the CPA think that that's their job done, that the fixtures are fixed. They're not. It's just a split season has been voted in. And like I said, for about 24 counties, it'll make no posy odds unless this is streamlined and every county has a, has a uniform start date.
0: Yeah, and surely there's more reason now for there to be a uniform start date. Well, Because as we talked about last week, which was passed at Congress, is that now... Uh, senior championships, uh, senior club championships, have to be limited to 16, a maximum of sixteen yeah. teams. So surely now it's a case where, well, if the GA were to look at that sensibly and say, well, listen, every club championship is exactly the same. It can't be beyond more than sixteen teams. So why not get a uniform day? Anyone who's yeah. given out about anyone who's given out about excellent championship earlier, play your leagues, play your divisional cups. But in terms of club championships, this is the way it should go. It just in, it ensures more, more kind of uniformity across the board. And all I will say about the CPA as well is that. For years, Woolly, for as long as they've been in, ex- in in existence, they have met with, you know, I would say indifference to to bordering on outright hostility from the GA. Okay. And also and also like to be honest, let's be honest about it, a lack of engagement from the wide from the vast majority of the club population who, you know, you had club players for years given out, then they had a voice in the CPA, and a lot of people didn't want to know about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, I had a lot of sympathy for the CPA in that, and that, like, do you know a lot of the stuff, they, they put out loads of surveys, they kind of made their, their, their voice felt, they they were quite actually aggressive in their dealings toward the GAA times. And I think that they didn't get the, I didn't think they got enough engagement from the club player that they deserved. So they're probably weighing that all up as well, Willie, and thinking, if they were if they were to continue to cause hassle, the GAA are probably looking at them and thinking, you got your split season. They, they probably didn't get it because of the CPA, as we said, it was probably because of the pandemic. But will you ever just go away? And they'll probably think that they could do without that hassle. I don't know, that's just, just kind of where I'm coming at it
2: yeah I don't know I think that if club players need a voice and that's what they said that they were I think that there's definitely use for them I I don't mind them saying look this is great whatever I just don't know why they disbanded I don't know like I mean let's wait and see how this plan pans out like do they what do they reform again when everything you know starts going to shit and it doesn't work out the way we thought anyways we'll we'll wait and see maybe Croke Park will will issue an instruction to county boards and to honour the split season but the, the word I I got from Crow Park, and this is the word I always get from Crow Park, is it's up to each individual county board. And we know what each individual county board, yeah. you know, we we know the way they deal with things a lot of the time. They do things whatever way they want and what whatever way it's always been done. So look, we'll wait and see. Anyways, I would just love if the CPA hadn't decided that their work here is done, because I don't think it is. Anyways, move off that um one. New GA president was unveiled. Uh, Larry McCarthy, Um, Interesting one with Larry McCarthy is that he's never he's he hasn't come through the traditional route um, of first being like a provincial, maybe a county board chairman, then provincial council chairman and then the the president. So he might have a fresh look. It, it, It almost compare to you know, an outside manager coming into the county and, you know, uh, none of that kind of favoritism going on, you know, a fresh look at things. And maybe that's what Larry McCarthy will give. Like, I mean, his background is that he's an associate professor in the department management at, uh, is it Seton? Seton Hall University in New Jersey. So he specializes in sports marketing and management. And he, he, um, like I mean, it does look like he's very qualified, and I like the fact that he's specialising in sports marketing and management. Because we see a lot of counties now seeing the value in having a commercial, you know, a marketing uh, manager running that kind of side of things. I'm a little bit excited to see what what he'll do. What I want, I'm going to have a completely open mind on Larry McCarthy, and uh, you know, let's let's see how he works out.
0: Yeah, everything I've seen and and heard about Larry McCarthy to date has been has been great. With the including I think most most recently we might get to it, but it's about kind of um, getting kids getting the you know getting kids back on the pitch uh, in Ireland having not been kind of absent for long for so long and have not been able to train etc. But uh, just in terms of the no
2: no, but just just so you get on that, like I mean that was very impressive. I thought from him, he said I would I would make an appeal to the government that once the schools are reopened to let the I don't like that word kids let the children back um, to playing in the clubs we did it safely last year both in running club activity as well as the cool camps it was highly regulated and done very effectively you would hope someone would see the benefit of allowing us back is the, is that just me from memory is that a little bit different than John Horan saying we're going to follow the experts and we you know we're going to we're not going to do anything until we're told he's appealing to the government let us back
0: yeah, well, it's different from John Horan that, like, the pandemic was only maybe two months old when John Horan was dealing with this initially. You remember the Sunday game interview and he kind of changed tune then not long after that. A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, in, in fairness to... um, Like, in fairness to... um, to As I said, like, everything I've heard from Larry McCarthy uh, to date, I've liked, you know what I mean? And, like, you mentioned there that kind of didn't take the traditional route, which I think is brilliant. Like, I think too much is probably made of, like, I know a lot goes into GA administration, but too, too much is maybe made of the, the experience that people in these roles have. Whereas there's a danger of getting, maybe being, being too involved in it for too many years and that you, you're not, not as open to change as a result because it's just the environment that you're used to. So he, I don't think he's afraid to ruffle feathers either. Well, he, I think like he's had, he's had a couple of digs at the, at the GPA in the past and stuff like that too. So, which, which again is no harm. So yeah. like, um and just on the, the sports marketing thing, I think, that, that could make him more qualified for what he actually has to do than any GA administrator that's that been been there in the past. I've already heard him spoke quite well on kind of TV rights and stuff like that, which he'd, he'd have a background in, 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 through his, through his role in that university in New Jersey. So yeah, everything I've heard today that I liked. So, so let's hope he kind of, he keeps that up. Yeah.
2: And he likes my uh, restructure proposal and this is mine. I want to keep reminding everybody on every show that I possibly can that the the flip season model where you play the Provincials first and then the the, the league as the All-Ireland Championship, that is my idea, 100%. I was the first person that came up with this, and he said, if we adopt one of the new formats proposed by the Fixtures Review Committee, proposed by me, and then proposed by the Fixtures Review Committee, which will be debated at Special Congress later in the year, we will trial it and we'll see if we're happy with it, and we will adopt it on a longer term basis. One of the options links the Alliance leagues to the Championship. It would appear to have the potential to make the Championship competitive, more competition more competitive, at least in the early rounds. It has the potential to alleviate the issues of non-competitive games, which exist in some of our football competitions. Again, like nothing major there, but look at acknowledging what we need and that he's open to it. And what I always love is, listen, let's try Let's see, do we like it? And if we don't, then we won't do it. And I kind of like that um, that attitude. So yeah, Larry, we're, we've got an open mind um, with you and we'll hopefully get you on the show um, as soon as you want to. There's an open invitation uh, there anyways. So Connor, she's only 23 and this year she made a comeback from a cruciate um, knee injury. She scored five seventeen in three games in the championship, including a brilliant goal against Dublin in the semi-final. And she's just won the player of the year. Um, it's Amy Macken and she joins us on the line now. Did I fit everything into that intro, Amy? Yeah, it did, yeah.
1: <laughs> what,
2: a, what a year for you winning player of the year. Like, I mean, considering without COVID hitting, you probably would have just wrote off that year. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think that's the big thing we were grateful to have a season in itself and um, obviously we went into the season a bit unknown about how we'd perform ourselves and how every other county was getting on because of the year or the few months prior to that in the lockdown and stuff but yeah it was a good year for our in general and uh, um, I was lucky to put on a good few performances myself but it's something that we'll take in the next year and something that we have to build on
2: so when you were going through all your rehab during lockdowns like at what point were you thinking "Geez, I actually have a chance of making this year now
1: yeah well it was just coming to the end of the lockdown when they started giving dates about um, playing football and it probably worked out in my favour that club the club season was played first so it gave me a bit of time and yeah. to build up my confidence and get the first few games over with before going into the heavy county stuff so it probably worked out in my favour and yeah, it was probably close to the end of the lockdown where I realised I might get a shot of playing a championship. Um, because beforehand, when I got injured, I was sort of unsure what way or when I'd come back, or what part of the season on a yeah. normal season I'd come back. So I was kind of lucky that way.
2: Ta- talk to us about the cruciate injury because it happened in that brilliant win against Cork last year, and you obviously missed the All Ireland quarter final against Mayo. Like, I mean, did you play on with that cruciate injury? Because I saw you came on at came off at half time.
1: Yeah, no, I was just changing in direction and um, I felt a, a pop and I heard a crack. So I sort of, I tried to play on, but the physio didn't give me any chance. Um, I probably wouldn't have been able to either. Um, but it was a mixed emotions kind of day, obviously, because I was delighted for the team to get the win. Um, but obviously it was just disheartening to pick up a bad injury. Um, but listen, I'm the other side of it now, so I don't want to look too ba- back too much on it now
2: yeah, no, well, that's true because you're you're very young to get a, a serious injury like that, I suppose. Like how were you in the rehab because that's a lot it's a long road back.
1: yeah, well, I just thought sort of, I didn't look too far ahead. I took each stage as it came and it was just about ticking off the boxes um and getting the work done. But I had two friends that uh, had done it as well. so I'd sort of I'd heard about the injury, but then you hear about stories of people not returning or not playing football ever again. so, You you do have them thoughts, but it was just about um, recovering after the surgery and getting as much work in then and getting on the pitch when I could and just taking it step by step. I probably didn't look too far ahead. and I never looked at um, my comeback until I was on the pitch. So it sort of um, was just a step by step process.
2: Right. You're lucky you had those two friends then, because from my experience of being injured, you're kind of like the forgotten person until you're back training with everybody.
1: Yeah, and that's probably as well. The lockdown probably helped, you know, because I had less trainings where I had to watch or matches that I had to watch sitting on the sidelines. So yeah. at that point, even though I was going through a rehab, there was our whole team was trained on your own. You know, you know yeah, so yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't so much a big difference.
2: Yeah, everyone was living the injured kind of routine.
1: Yeah, the only thing was my program was different to what the rest of my teammates were doing, but it was the same sort of scenario that we were all in
2: come here explain to me I'm reading this and I find it hard to believe um, Amy that on your comeback game against Cross McGlenn, your team are losing you come on at half time your club team that is and you score eight goals in the second half now I I'm, I need you to confirm this is true because I find how is that possible
1: yeah no it is true <laughs> I think a lot of them were put in the plate for me um, I was a bit surprised myself but it was a lot, of, a lot of the work was done before I got the ball and had to put it in the net so it was a it was a good uh, game to come back and and yeah I was only allowed a half um, thirty minutes at that point because that was only my second game back.
2: We'll talk about doing the world of good for your confidence. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. That's probably where the confidence stemmed from. Yeah.
2: <laughs> for, so that's a goal every four minutes. Like, I mean, how how is does this happen? Like, I mean, are you completely <laughs> dominating the game in midfield? How? Like, I mean, is it a domination or how? I don't. I can't picture how eight goals can be scored in in a half of football.
1: I'm not too sure either sort of, it all happened it was very fast it was a bit of a blur it was just one after the other but yeah a lot of it was just pulling the plate for me um, I just had to tap it in um, but I, I'm not sure whatever changed at half time um, the whole team sort of lifted as well um, so we got on top of the game
2: yeah I didn't score 8 goals in my entire club and inter-county <laughs> career um, never mind 8 goals in a half a half of football. come here has anyone ever told you you have a very similar style to Jamie Clark?
1: Um, no, not really, no. It's probably because we're both left footed or something, yeah. I'd say.
2: <laughs> yeah, when I saw some of your highlights, it was Jamie Clark and James Adonis who kind of pop uh popped into my head for comparisons.
1: <laughs> I'd say I'm a long way off that their type of caliber now.
2: Geez, <laughs> I don't think so. Jeez, I genuinely don't think so. Like I mean your skill levels are are, are off the charts, sidestep, the dummy bounce, you must do an awful lot of work on that.
1: Yeah, well I think we've there's two brothers in my two um, brothers in my house, so we would have watched a lot of football. And um, in particular, obviously, we would have watched the Armagh men, men's team and the Armor women's team when we were younger, because uh, they would have had such a great team. And yeah. we always remember the likes of Ronan Clark and Stephen McDonnell. Um So you would have been watching their football matches, and in between half times, you would have been out in the garden practicing. So it's probably it started when I was young. You know, just uh, we practice every day. But you didn't know it was practice. You know, it was just fun yeah. play that we did at home. Um, but it's probably all them hours spent in the garden that you have to look back and think that's probably where we started developing them.
2: So, like, I mean, when you were out, because I was wondering, was it a specific coach maybe that taught you? You know, all all the all the skills you have, or is it just li- seeing maybe seeing a dummy bounce on on the television and then going out and practicing it?
1: Yeah, well well, obviously coaches do help you but I think uh, them types of skills are probably just watched. I watched a lot of football matches so seeing other county players doing it and just trying to instinctively learn it and I suppose probably it is just a lot of instinct so just the game against Dublin with the dummy bounce that was just instinctive to do that. Um, I didn't think too much about it but yeah, obviously it's a lot of work from when we were younger to... Practice the skills and uh, bring them into our game and develop them even further.
2: Well, that that's the thing. The goal against Dublin, like I mean, there was no goal when you there was no goal on when you got it there, right? So, like I mean, I don't know. Did you wait for the defender to kind of sell a little bit, showed one way, and then the minute the dummy bounce is done, you think a goal is on? Like when are you thinking goal?
1: Yeah, I think when the when the dummy bounce was done, I just thought I had to go for a goal. I think it was that a certain point of the game that we probably needed a goal you know when you look at the game itself it, if it had to happen in the first half I might have just stuck it over the bar but as soon as I got the ball I was thinking before the dummy bounce I was thinking I have to go for a goal and then obviously with the dummy bounce it opened up a wee bit more space for me and I just had to try and put it in the back of the left yeah, sometimes it can go wide so
2: well, from your highlights, I know highlights only show the goals. It doesn't look like you put too many too many of them. <laughs> is it is it true you used to go for goals an awful lot and like I mean you you're you're not going for them as much now. You maybe a, a bit more variety into your into your play.
1: Um probably obviously when you're younger, you probably do. It's different senior county football is a lot different to when you're playing under 14s teams, under sixteens or minors even. Um, there's less space in a game and You notice that as you step up into um, the senior category within the county, especially. Um, I think it's probably just you don't get as many opportunities in games now because it's probably a wee bit more defensive. But I think when the opportunity comes, you have to take them. And I think it's just it's probably what I have to learn a bit as well. Maybe um, seeing an opportunity more and just um, maybe there is more opportunities to go for goal. But probably over the the last few years when we were maybe lower in the leagues, uh division three or whatever and there probably was more opportunities for goals so I took them
2: yeah no well that's true obviously at the top level and you you, you need to be unpredictable as well like I mean you know you have yeah. to mix it up your movement is excellent as well like you're not a typical corner forward or full forward you kind of have license to go wherever you want
1: yeah no well I think that's probably what we learned as well and what we practice a lot in training it's Never usually the first ball that you're or the first movement that you're looking to pass. It's usually the second, or sometimes you have to do a third movement. So I think that's key as a forward is always moving because if you stand still, uh, it's going to be very easy to defend. So I try to I tried anyway. Keep moving and just try to make it as hard for defenders as I can.
2: Well, that, that's the thing. But when I think of the likes, in, uh, going to, uh, i going apologize for keep using comparisons to the men's game. But that's kind no, of you're, no, you're dead on. I mean, I look at the likes of Bernard Brogan, who have been known goal scorer, and his movement is very limited. You know, he, he doesn't usually go outside his scoring area, whereas you're actually a goal scorer that kind of floats into a lot of different areas.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably just looking at the space as well. I think we work on that in training is sometimes a half forward might end up in the full forward line, and it's just about reading the game and use it's. Probably being more versatile between all six forwards you know. Um, so it's just about reading the game, and if you see someone else in that space, you know there's going to be space somewhere else, and you just have to make the movements.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you're from a GA mad family, like you said, practicing out in the backyard and after matches. Your two brothers, they're both on the Armagh senior panel now, and your sister is obviously centre back, converted centre back now on the yeah. on the on the women's team. Yeah, yeah, it's a
1: big uh, GA family, and it's been instilled from our dad mainly um, but my mum's heavily involved in it too and was hev- heavily involved in it but our dad would have took us to every our match our mom match up and down the country and any club match so we would have been watching it a lot and he would have been managing our club team so we would have been always down in the football field and yeah as you say it was just always a football in our hand but it was it was something we loved so it was never a chore as such if you know what I mean
2: yeah no exactly here Camille here. you must have loved uh, your sister's move from full forward to centre back so instead of hogging the ball you want now she's giving you all the balls
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's funny actually because she would have played club football she would have been playing full forward or half forward and gradually now she's getting she was in midfield and as well this year then she got in a half back role but I think that just probably sums her up she's very versatile and she can defend as well as she can come up and score. So she scored a few points this year. And yeah, I think there's probably a bit of telepathy there between the two of us. We've been playing long enough and we know each other's game. So I know sometimes when she gets the ball, I know where she's going to put it and she probably knows where I'm going to be.
2: Knows where you're going to run as well. It, it, listen, the whole narrative around our ladies' football, it's on the up. Like, I mean, you have a very professional setup. You have the first ever... You're the first ever ladies organization to play on their own facilities. You have a pitch a center of excellence. um you have a fundraising wing friends of our ladies. I'm sure you all you know dug in to to help fundraise yep. for but like I mean you know it it must be a nice feeling to ha- you know to to be on that kind of uh, journey
1: yeah, definitely and it's it's very positive at the minute. um there's a lot going on and I think for players when we see a lot of our the work that goes on behind the scenes with our county board and especially our chairperson like the amount of work they do it makes you appreciate it and appreciate what you've got and it makes you want to work harder when you get on the pitch and do well for your county but yeah it's very positive for our, um with the pitch and stuff um, it's good to have a base for our training and um, because prior to that over the last few years you could be waiting an hour before training to find out where you're actually training so it's very good to have a base and now hopefully we're progressing it on to get lights so that we can use it um on the evenings as well so it's going well and we're going in the right direction but we can't stand still we have to keep uh, pushing ourselves and keep going further
2: yeah no so is the, is the whole thing fi- you obviously need the lights like you said is the is the center of excellence, fi- excellence finished
1: no, well, the next stage is to get the lights instilled and then I think it will be um, change rooms. There is change facilities at the minute, but they're talking about uh, building an uh, improved complex sort of thing. Um, but if we get it lights on it, that would be a big benefit to us yeah. um, so that we can use it in the dark evenings as well.
2: Yeah, no, listen, it's fantastic that you've moved and moved it on. Like you said, you, not knowing where you're going to train an hour before training, Like I mean, that must be absolutely demoralising.
1: Yeah definitely and it was probably a struggle there for a few years um, but I can I can see the improvements that's being made as well so it's good not to have that problem and yeah, um, hopefully there's more counties within the women's game that will um, take that stride as well.
2: Yeah, do you think your LGFA is obviously very progressive and is doing fantastic work for you? Because I've always been of the opinion that why doesn't the ladies game just come under the GEA umbrella and you wouldn't have to pay to use GEA facilities because you're Gaelic... Uh, footballers and, you know, hurler, hurlers, yeah. camogie players anyways. I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, I think you're, the fact you have your own grounds is brilliant, but i quite like for you to use the same grounds your brothers use.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's something that it's probably for other people to discuss, but I don't see why the, there would be a problem. But I haven't really thought too much about it. Obviously, yeah. it'd be nice all to be under the one code and to be working together together. Um, yeah, other people maybe have to look at that more in depth and I'd have to look at that more in depth to not really know what the pros and cons would be but I could only think that it would be a positive move um, but yeah I think it's probably up to more higher up people than me.
2: Yeah well that's true I'm not going to suck you into that debate Amy you've enough to be worried about <laughs> <laughs> you're a very, very good soccer player as well have you given that up to concentrate on the, the GEA or um, are you still playing a bit?
1: No, well, I, I was playing up until I like, got injured, so um, at the minute now that I've returned, I haven't um, got back to it yet, but it's probably something I'll think about uh, maybe over the next month or two to maybe think about getting back, but it's very hard as well to do the both um, because county football is very professional now and it's getting getting even more professional even though it's an amateur sport. Um, it takes up a lot of your time and stuff like that. So it's something maybe I look into the future, but at the minute, uh, not really. No,
2: right. Okay. I do miss
1: it though sometimes.
2: Yeah, I presume you're. I presume you're a striker in that, or or on the wing.
1: Yeah, striker or left wing usually. Um, it just depends. Uh, I've played both. Um, yeah, but I, I did enjoy the soccer, and I do. I watch it a lot still at the minute. So yeah, it's something that I always enjoyed.
2: And you've played international.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I got a few caps and stuff like that, um, and that was that was a good experience for me to play at that that level and play against top countries in the Euros and the World Cup qualifiers.
2: Right. Okay. Fantastic. So, so how are you managing this lockdown? Before I let you go, um, Amy, you know it's it's a lot better than the last one because you obviously aren't rehabbing an injury. And in fairness, in Northern Ireland, there's there's some bit of a roadmap out of it, whereas we don't have anything down here.
1: Yeah, well, there's, we got a roadmap there yesterday, so there's a wee bit of a positive outlook now that hopefully it'll not be too long before we can start uh, training collectively. Um, but we're probably still a few weeks off, maybe that. Um, but at the minute, yeah, we're just, even though I'm not rehabbing, we're still doing as much work as we can and we're getting programmes sent out. So it's a lot easier now that I have Blathing as well to to train with and um, the boys are obviously training as well so it's a wee bit easier to get motivated and stuff like that but it can be hard some days but you just have to get on with it and just roll with the times and hopefully there will be a brighter future in the next few months
2: Yeah, well fingers crossed. Come here Amy, thanks very much for taking the call and best of luck for the yeah. year
1: No problem at all, thank you
2: Yeah, great stuff from Amy there and like in, very interesting that Arma LGFA are the only only county in the whole country that have their own grounds. So fair play to them for that. It's very impressive. And they have a GoFundMe page, you know, to, to raise money to continue on that good work. So if you if you if you search for Arma GEA Development Fund. Um, you'll find that GoFundMe page if you want to give them some money and help them finish the centre of excellence and the floodlights, like Amy was mentioning there. So, like, great work, great work out of them. Isn't it, it's, a, it's a weird one, Connor, because like, I mean, Amy didn't want to get into it, but at the same time, my argument always is they shouldn't have to build their own grounds. They should be part of the GEA and use GEA grounds. But it is very impressive that they've gone down the route of going here. We want their own base. We can't always be depending. Uh, you know, on knowing an hour before training where we're supposed to be going.
0: Yeah. And our, and our willing is, as, uh, as a- Amy spoke about there, and, and as you spoke about there with the GA, with the, with the GoFundMe page to kind of just, um, just, you know, do, do something, think outside the box for want of a better phrase to, to kind of, kind of fund these things, especially at these times when, when kind of funds are, are a bit scarce, but, um, but yeah, fair play to her in terms of, uh, in terms of the, 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 ha- counties having their own grounds in the LJFA. Um do you know, I think that that might be a debate for another day, but I'm sure we'll we'll revisit it again, will? We?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. She was mentioning the vaccine rollout um up in the north. And Ushi McConville has been talking about this, And he's been pushing for the six counties to go back before the rest of the country. Um and like he he was on BBC talking about this, and he said twenty five percent. Now, before I say this, it is kind of, very unusual for for a man from South Armagh, wanting the six counties to be treated differently to the rest of the. So listen, we'll we'll have to we'll have to take this. And uh, the way I look at it is, Ushin is not going to look a gift horse in the mouth at this stage. And he said he said on BBC he says twenty five percent of the association shouldn't be punished because we don't have our ducks in a row elsewhere. Um, and he's right. Uh. Connor, like, I mean, if the six counties are in uh, as, uh, you know, in the UK and the the vaccine is being flying out there and if they're given the green light a month before we are in the south, why would they have to sit around when it's safe to go back? The government that they're, you know, in the jurisdiction they're under has allowed them go back. It just seems beyond belief that they wouldn't be allowed back.
0: Yeah, I, I think as Brian McEvoy kind of changes tune on that a little bit since uh, talking about the clubs in particular, I think just from just from what I was reading. Yeah, no, but it'd have to be club, though, Connor, because it would be an unfair advantage for intercounty to go back first,
2: because obviously the National League will be starting back and that would be unfair to allow the six county teams, you know, a month's training ahead of the rest. But for clubs, like we won't have club championship until whenever, or, well, August. So, like, I mean, what's what's the three or four weeks difference going to make at that stage?
0: No, I don't. I don't absolutely don't think there's any difference. And just because the North has been better at rolling their vaccine out than than we have, there's you know that's the the the, the club players up there shouldn't suffer because we're a bit slower, you know why why not? Why not get them back? There are sexu- exceptional cir- circumstances here to let the club players back, particularly. But the only thing I take issue with would be you know not letting the inter- county training back. It would be unfair, but like. You have greater faith than me, I think, than the willingness of inter-county managers to to abide by that. I'd say they'd probably the way around it, if club players, if inter-county players are back training with their clubs and the club and the county season is coming first, I just think the county managers will probably find a way in getting their own getting their, you know, county players back training before everybody else do well. Yeah, But do you think they'd
2: do that anyways when it's been told that we saw Down doing it, we saw Cork doing it, and that's when it wasn't safe. So I could imagine the six yeah, well, camps, yeah. the counties will have them training when it's safe to do so. They'll still get that leg up. But unless you just allow underage, you know, up until minor, or under 20, back.
0: Yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, like if yeah, as, as you said, if they were willing to do when it wasn't safe to do so, and kind of made a case, even when they were kind of sanctioned. That you know, they they appealed against the bans. Maybe they appealed against them being too severe, as opposed to appeal against the bans in the first place. They'd be willing to do it when it's a lot safer to do so, and they wouldn't be looked down as it wouldn't be looked on on as badly if intercounty teams were training. while club club teams were training as well, but that's up to that's up to the the, the policing of of the intercounty training session. You know, tr- training sessions up in those counties for for the J. Not to allow, to allow it to go ahead, but I just. I would I would see then a situation where we would get more speculation about intercounty teams being allowed to go back and those, not not being allowed but back training when other teams aren't allowed and it being particularly unfair where where county season is coming back first and you're yeah. very close to that season and then you'd probably have county teams more inclined down you know down in the republic where they're not allowed to go back to maybe try and take a chance and go back earlier if everyone else is doing it so but um yeah again it's just uh, an issue for an issue for down the line if the 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 if if club players in the north are allowed are allowed to go back.
2: Yeah, I can't see it happening personally. I think I think they should be allowed, but I can't see the GA allowing six counties back before everybody else. I think they'll just go with the All Ireland pro, you know, All Ireland approach like they have been doing. Uh, but it's still, it's very 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 unfair for, you know, if it's safe in the six counties for at least, you know, with the vaccination and everything for them to just be sitting there locked out of their own GA grounds. It just, for me, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, Kevin Walsh has been talking. He, he's, I think he's released a, an autobiography and he talks about it. a couple of the headlines out of it was Dublin's unfair advantage in Croke Park. And I thought that was um, fair enough for him to say it. I think that's a no brainer. Everybody will, will agree with that outside of people In Dublin, for some reason, won't accept home advantage as an advantage, even though the world of sport acknowledges that playing at home is more of an advantage to play in a way. They play all their league games in Crow Park, Most every championship game bar one, and they try to argue that that's not their home ground, and they try to argue that their home ground is a ground Parnell Park that they never play on. It's the most bizarre argument I've ever come across, but anyways, we'll we'll leave that to them. But the the one that kind of annoyed me here with Kevin Walsh was a little bit, he's talking about Porrick Joyce, and it's this chip on the shoulder of these defensive managers, and I just can't understand it. Like, I mean, he he says in it, and I quote, now we understand it's a new manager. He's talking about Porek Joyce now. Now, we understand it's a new manager, a new story, but in actual fact, the old narrative continues. The big bad wolf has been replaced and Joyce will have Galway zipping it around without a care for defensive solidity and structure. Um, now, I don't understand what the issue here is because, like, Kevin Walsh has got some big issues about being called a defensive manager. He is a defensive manager. Like man, he had Paddy Talley in there, and his players used to retreat ahead of the ball, wait around the forty-five meter line, and, and try and counterattack. I don't understand what these defensive managers. Why don't they just say this is the, these are the tactics I use? I'm proud of these tactics. It's almost like deep down these GA men are ashamed of what they're doing and they won't kind of accept it because he goes on, he says, yet it was Shane Walsh giving away a penalty in the first National League game against Monaghan in 2020. Conor Gleeson saved uh, Conor McManus' kick and Galway won by a pint. Like... Everybody knows that Porrick Joyce made Shane Walsh his captain and he made him his full forward and he was their target man. Shane Walsh was not instructed to defend. Maybe he had to chase back against his man where we know full back lines just take off. But such a such a a thing to say to try and make out that Porrick Joyce started off, you know, with uh, instructing Shane Walsh to be back giving away penalties. And then he continues on. Porik is not a foolish man. He'll bring his own strengths and philosophies into the mix, of course, rightly so. But he knows that to win in all Ireland, you have to be set up well. And I wasn't surprised that he didn't throw all the baby out with the bathwater, um, that the arc defence, for example, is still in use to a large degree. Again, trying to compare his tactics with Porik Joyce's tactics. Why is he doing that, Connor? Like, why can't he just say, right, Porik has a, a different approach to me, I I I went pretty defence, so I thought that was the best way we get out of the play- best, you know, the tactics to get it to get the best out of the players and own it. Why did it, why do all these defensive managers try to pretend that they're actually attack attack minded managers?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think in Kevin Welsh's case, for example, I think there's maybe there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder there is if if he thinks he probably get isn't isn't getting enough acknowledgement from where he brought Galway from where they were to where they were when he started to where they were when he finished. So like. Kevin Walsh came into a team that absolutely needed to be needed that sol- defensive sol- solidity. They were whipping boys in Connacht for years before he came in. Then he turns them around to the point that like Mayo couldn't beat them for years. Now Galway came unstuck, you know, against uh, they came unstuck against Roscommon a couple of times. Came unstuck against Tipperary, I think, in All Ireland semi final, and most notably came unstuck in that All Ireland semi final against Dublin, where they got hammered because because of Galway's limitations, because they were a defensive team. So I think that kind of comes into it as well. And Kevin, Kevin Welsh is probably here and talking Galway last year, particularly about how brilliant it was to see Porek Joyce return with this free-flowing attacking philosophy, whereas he did what he had to. But like I, I don't know why he doesn't acknowledge that he was a defensive team, because of course he was a defensive team. And he yeah. saw, oh, saw Galway... You know, contain Mayo enough with tactics that worked against Mayo, but they were defensive tactics. Do you know they yeah. the were absolutely defensive tactics? But I, I, I I'd say that comes into it. I think that's it that that there's maybe not enough acknowledgement from what he that he turned Galway into a far hardened outfit than what they were. Yeah, and maybe sick of the fact that Pauric Joyce is seen as the Messiah, and that that's down to his background in Galway as well as the philosophy that he's come in with, and that maybe maybe it's not not fair on him and and kind of the work he did in Galway for the years that he was in there.
2: I think it wasn't as defensive in his last year as it was at the start. He did try to maybe, you know, leave more forwards up than he did initially. And like I remember they played Kildare in Newbridge in the Super 8s and, you know, it was a very, very good footballing uh, display where Ian Burke, Shane Walsh and Um, I'm not sure Comer was there, but like, I mean, they left three forwards up and, you know, they were kick passing it in and it looked really good. And then, you know, they might play someone else and they're reverting back, you know, to dropping back into these zones. But I don't know. Like, I mean, I do accept that Parik Joyce against Mayo in the Connacht final, potentially played a sweeper, which is unusual for him, bringing back a forward. But, you know, Kevin Walsh, when he continued on, kind of pointed to the hammering they took against Mayo, saying, you know, that that was gung-ho, Whereas the same gung-ho kind of philosophy hammered Tyrone the game before, but he didn't draw any, you know, comparison to that. But I don't know. It's just I, 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 like, again, it's just maybe you're right that he feels he didn't deserve enough credit. But you cannot, you cannot, every county is trying to find the balance. There's no such thing as an all out attack Gaelic football team now. And there never was. Like I mean, I've I've played in the half back line and if I was this was back in the nineties, if I was attacking all the time, the the cornerback behind me would be telling me, Wooly, come back here. Like give me a bit of cover. It, there was always a, a a balance between going out and attacking and watching your defense. And like even now, like the likes of Dublin have it down to a T in that they'll commit a lot of bodies to do to attack, but they'll also get bodies back if you're slow with your if you're very slow with your build up. It, there's no such thing as an out and out defensive team, and there's no such thing as an out and out attacking team. Every team is trying to find a balance. And I think Kevin Walsh was obviously on the on the side of the very defensive side, and Páirc Joyce would be up around a seven or or an eight on the attacking side. Like I mean, yeah. Dub, Dublin might be about a, a six, you know, um, more attacking towards defending.
0: I think that's the more most pertinent point uh, way that you made there. The last one, I think everybody obviously has to get the balance right between defense and attack that that's clear. But like, then you have philosophies that lean more towards defense. Yeah. Yeah. You philosophies that lean towards attack. So I, James Horan, for example, in Mayo is definitely leaning towards attack. He's Yeah. He's a seven or an eight towards the attack and the end of the scale. Yeah. Ah, uh, Joyce, I would have said that the league obviously was up was close enough to that, too, whereas whereas it, you know, in the championship this year, he he kind of reverted back towards the median. But I think the the uh, the examples that Kevin Welsh uses are unfair. you You pointed out the Shane Welsh one. That was completely isolated. It could have been just he just happened to be chasing back at the time. It wasn't if Park Joyce wasn't telling Shane Welsh to be constantly back there. And just in defense of Park Joyce this year, he was going into that Mayo game on the back of two games, preparation. Um, into the Connacht final. One of them was a hammering against that Mayo team. Then they didn't get the Sligo game because Sligo had to pull out. So as well as that, he has players that are off form, you know, and then other players that are missing, like Jamie and Comer came on clearly injured and he's coming off the back of that Mayo game. And then he's also playing Mayo in Pierce Stadium in wintertime. Yeah. You know I mean? So so you have to, have to adapt the conditions. So Parik Joyce did that. I think if Parik Joyce played Mayo at the height of summer next year, you'd see a completely different um Galway because as we go back to earlier Parik Joyce naturally leans towards the more attacking end of that balance whereas I would say that Kevin Welsh leaned more towards the defensive side and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that that's just again that's just his philosophy I, I would think anyway Kevin Welsh might dispute that but there's, there's 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 nothing wrong with it but as you said just own it as opposed to trying to explain yourself
2: exactly exactly there's a big controversy in Clare so the Sunday Times had this um last Sunday uh, Mick Foley and Dennis Walsh and a lot of rumours going around down in Clare and there's WhatsApp messages going around and there's accusations. And you have, you know, I, I know Davey uh, Fitzgerald was talking about the online harassment of his father and all these sort of stuff. And now the Sunday Times uh, did a, did an article where, you know, they, 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 they say that the senior hurling team had to break into Cusick Park for training. After they were locked out a whole these are basically a a list of things Brian Lohan has had to contend with. And there's also a a controversy about GPS um, rentals. So here's a few of the issues that uh, Brian Lohan had to has had to deal with. So the team being locked out of Cusack Park for a training session, Brian Lohan had to pay the strength and conditioning staff after uh, they had gone unpaid by the county board. Brian Loan sent 29 unanswered emails last year to the county secretary trying to address a number of issues. 29 unanswered emails. Uh, the away league game in Wexford. Uh, the team stayed in a hotel the night before. The hotel bill wasn't paid by the county board um, on departure, leaving Brian Loan to have to chase payment on behalf of the hotel. And number five, on the same trip, the post-match meal was not paid for, and Brian Loan had to arrange payments himself. Sounds very unprofessional, kind of stuff um, going on here, Connor. And like the Sunday Times has kind of revealed all this. And I'm sure there's going to be an investigation into all of it because I know Claire has uh, the, the Aero Club have um, proposed and it has been endorsed by the county board development of a five year strategic plan. Um, for GEA in Clare, and I suppose when they get to the bottom of all this kind of stuff and a five-year strategic uh, review, you know they, they'll they'll maybe find some sort of a solution because it does it. It seems like it's gone very toxic down there.
0: Yeah, I mean there was a few um there was a few red flags kind of in in that report, particularly from Brian Lowen's point of view. I mean, I think Kevin McSae brought up before having to pay for for pay for a hotel when he was in charge of Ross off his own credit card. And they'd happen to recruit the expenses. Brian Loan's had to do that a lot of times. um that the, the twenty nine emails to the county sec. Pat Pat Fitzgerald is the county secretary. And um, I don't think you know the the issues between Brian Loan and Davey have been well documented. And I think there's uh, a, a Pat Fitzgerald was quoted as saying in the report, I think that their relationship is okay, but there's there's clearly tension there. And there was kind of just a coverage of the 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 county board meeting that they had virtually um last weekend it just sounded very very tense just so, something is obviously something is, is, is just not right and on that committee as well um i think it has i think the county board has endorsed it all right but i think it's i don't think it's quite got the go-ahead yet i think that um the county board are seeking some involvement in it as well because the, <laughs> right. the members at the moment i think that they're all kind of um they're all kind of high-profile business people in Clare with a herding background, but I don't think there's they're at the moment they're independent of the county board. Whereas there probably has to be some kind of relationship between them if, if they're there to implement kind of um, solutions for for Clare County Board going forward. So yeah, well, overall, I wasn't aware I wasn't aware of it until what was going on until I read the article and just a load of things breaking into the having to break into the the. Um, the the Qy the park was it and then the the GPS stuff as well which you might get into too was just there was a load of things that hinted that there is a lot of stuff that needs to needs to be resolved in, in well, at the moment yeah I'll explain the GPS
2: one because that's probably the most shocking one really and like I mean um in the investigation that they did in the Sunday Times um there's an allegation um that why while when Brian Lowen tried to cut costs, and his man, his management team met resistance from the count from county board executives. The article says that the county board were paying a massive um, eighteen thousand per year to rent a ten year old eighteen unit GPS system. So um, eighteen units, eighteen grand a year. So that's one thousand a year per unit, and eighteen isn't enough for the whole squad. So you'd be sharing them around, right? So it's one thousand per year, and you have no ownership achieved. So all you're doing is renting them. You'll never get to own them. So Brian Lowen. He sourced a world-class system used in professional sport at an average cost of just three hundred and seventy-five per unit per year over three years. And after the three years is up, the system and units would belong to the county board outright in the end. So, no, w- number one is is a thousand per year per unit, a ten-year-old GPS system, and never own it. Versus Brian Lowen sourced three hundred and seventy-five per unit um, over three years, and then you own them. And Brian Loan met resistance from the county board to be able to source these GPS units himself. Like, I mean, uh, oh, it, it doesn't surprise me. I've been involved in GE long enough, um, you know, since I was very young and playing with the county. And you just know it's just heartbreaking to think that this
0: kind of thing will go on. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that company, um, Willie, is Statsports, um, which are an Irish company. And I'm pretty sure they provided to, as you said, across the range of score uh, range of sports. but I think Liverpool might might use. I'm pretty sure Liverpool use them as well. So they're obviously kind of world renowned. And I, like an issue I kind of I had it as well is that, and obviously this happens in all counties, not just kind of limited to Clare, but should Brian Lohan be the guy that's, you know, not necessarily I've no issue with him sourcing them, but like would the county board not look at that on a balance sheet, say, and let's say, we're looking at this, this is costing us 18 grand a year. Should we not be going out there, you know, and seeing can we get a better system as opposed to Brian Lowe and having to do it? But then when presented with a solution that's far cheaper, far better, like what's the why? Why, why would they reject it? Why? Why? Like I, I just I, I just can't understand that.
2: Yeah, well, the big question here is, Connor, and this is what this investigation probably would get to the bottom of is, is the person they were renting the, the, the 18,000 a year is the person that owns those GPSs is that is that person in any way connected to the county board? You know what I mean. To want to keep this contract going instead of going for the the, the cheaper, more up to date model. So that's the big question. We'll wait and see. Is there a link between that set of GPS um, trackers versus? The new one that Brian Loan sourced. So I suppose we'll find that out um, as you know the news kind of breaks. The 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 Sunday Times doing great, some great work um, on that. All right, we'll leave it there, Connor, and we'll talk to Connor Sweeney next.
0: I said, you want to get up or you want to stay in bed?" I- I so said, we have a game there,
2: about half three of you. If you, if, you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind joining us.
0: Didn't even start, like, didn't even go for the bag. Took his line, took his extra five minutes. It was like, it was like the snooze button. Hit the, hit the snooze button for another five minutes. Rolled out of bed. One seven that day.
2: So after captaining Tipperary to the first Munster title since 1935, last Friday week, Conor Sweeney deservedly became the third ever football all-star in Tipperary, and he joins us on the line now. Only the third ever, Conor. That's not bad going. Thanks, Willie. Yeah, no, it's not.
3: Um, there's only three of us, I suppose, so it's kind of... Um, it's, an elite, it's an elite group at the moment. So, yeah, delighted to be part
2: of it now. Yeah. How did you find out? Because you you found out... the. The morning of it You knew you knew before the show Now I hope Declan Brown Didn't send you a text To ruin it on you Like he did for Quinn Living.
3: No um, So the footballers Were announced On the Friday morning Very early But I kind of found out Unofficially On Thursdays, and Thursdays I got a phone call Of someone else But it was totally unofficial I was kind of half Waiting in for an Official phone call But it never came But um, I was delighted To wake up uh, Friday morning So essentially I found out Officially the same As ever that was how it right. really all came about.
2: And, I said, like, I mean, I said, well, you were very, very strong favourite to win it, but were you thinking like that, or were you just thinking uh, something might happen here?
3: That's right, I it, I think the All-Stars, most years, are kind of predictable. You know, you, you kind of know if you're in with a good shout, and I suppose the year we're after having collectively and personally, I, I knew I was in with a shout. So, um, yeah, it was, it was nice to wake up to on a Friday morning, and you know, must say. But like you know yourself they can be quite predictable some years and, and you you know when you're in with a good show and I suppose I oh, had a fair idea alright yeah
2: yeah no you definitely did come here where have you got your monster final jersey because you, you, you i hope you have it in a safe somewhere in case it's not robbed your captain your man of the match it's the first monster title since 1935 like i mentioned it's the bloody sunny anniversary it's the special jerseys this could be make you a millionaire someday
3: oh jesus yeah it would be grand wouldn't it <laughs> a million euros. But um I know it's at home alright. It's, ready. it's kept very safe now at the minute. Um I've I've all the lads' signatures on it. So yeah, it'll it'll take pride of place now someday. I must get a frame and things, but it's definitely safe for now, and I yeah.
2: Yeah I was I was reading a quote from yours talking about the jerseys and the emotion of the Munster final and everything and you were talking about being conscious of the occasion and all the history around it but as players we had to park it we had a match to go out and win and i think you made a speech after the limerick game you know to kind of dampen all that kind of uh, emotion down
3: ah uh, yeah like it was i suppose when when we kind of when we found out there was Cork and then Munster final and things and we hadn't played well in the semi final all of a sudden you know, the, all these things were coming out in the media about these new jerseys and things and, you know, it was kinda it was sprung on us really. We didn't really have time to think about it. But I yeah, know I just didn't want the lads to be sidetracked on on these kind of small things that really didn't matter, to be honest with you. I mean there was only one thing that mattered to us and that was actually getting our hands on the Munster Medal. So yeah, we put us to bed on the first session back and um, to be fair to the boys we, we we reacted really well after that and we got two good weeks of training. But yeah, those those small things can can they can really affect your performance if you let them but we nipped it in the board early so um yeah we we got it out of the way nice and early and and we focused on the football from there on out
0: thank god
2: yeah, focus on the training. But I remember getting, well, I probably got it wrong on the Thursday. I was saying, right, you know, it's best practice for top level sportsmen not to use emotion because you have, I obviously understand it, that you can't depend on emotion for every game. So it's not best practice. But I was saying on the Thursday of all days to tap into the emotion of Blondes Sunday and everything. Yeah. This is the day to do it. And I don't think he did do it listening from your interviews.
3: Um, I, I, collectively, we we wouldn't have kind of, it's not really something we would have, like you said, depended on for motivation or whatever, because yeah. I mean, so I suppose it was only our second monster final appearance in about that decade, like, you know, so, and for the majority of the guys on the panel last year, it was their first outing in a monster final. So like, we didn't have to dig too deep for motivation. I mean, we were kind of starved of success. At that level for a long, long time. So, like you know, the likes of myself and and other senior players, we definitely didn't have to dig too deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were in a monster final against a team that we've always kind of been very competitive with. So, we kind of fancied our chances. So, like tapping into it kind of wasn't really an option from a player's perspective. Now, I'm sure when you're in the heat of a battle, arise right, and and you know monster final morning approaches, you, you do kind of you think about it slightly. But was only really after when we had actually won the match that we kind of, we reflected on, on the weekend that it was. And, and then it kind of hits home. But yeah, we were kind of conscious of not getting sidetracked with, with the whole, um, commemoration weekend and things. And yeah, I think we got it fairly spot on now to be fair.
2: Yeah. You definitely, was it weird looking around at a completely different colored Jersey, um, even on the pitch?
3: Yeah, that was another thing we addressed early on. We actually had worn that jersey a number of times in training in the lead up to the match, so we kind of had familiarized ourselves with it a little bit, but right. at the very initially it was a little bit strange. Yeah, like I mean there's it couldn't have been any more contrasting to our normal jersey. So it was a little bit weird and that was something I was kind of a little bit apprehensive about at the start as well, just changing jersey completely. Like, you know, we we've always worn the blue and gold but I suppose, listen, it all worked out well. I mean, if if we had lost the game and we performed poorly, you might be looking at these things as maybe distractions. But listen, all is well that ends well. I suppose.
2: Yeah, well, it definitely did end well. Like I said, you were man of the match and captain, and you made a brilliant speech. I have to say, um, even though it was an empty stadium, but it looked like you actually put a bit of thought, thought into the speech.
3: Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, I suppose to answer I hadn't thought about it too much. Again, it's kind of something you you try not to focus on in the lead up to a big game. But like I knew that if you know if we were to win, that I love you have to say some few words. But I had nothing written down or anything like that. I just kind of I kind of winged it to be honest with you. But right. there was a few things in my head that I, I kind of I kind of made priority to get in there. So yeah, I don't know. You just kind of emotion takes over then, and you just kind of take off. And to be honest with you, I can't remember most of it. To be honest, but
2: yeah,
3: hopefully it wasn't too bad, anyway.
2: Well, no, it was very, it was very good, and it was it was just natural. It didn't really look like you would have yeah. prepared, but I'm sure you had in your head. It's always a difficulty for captains. Obviously, you you want to give the speech the respect it deserves, but if you focus on it, you're not thinking about the match, and it's a bit. It is a difficult thing for a captain to have to deal with.
3: Yeah, it is, and I I wouldn't be the person now who'd like to sit down, you know, in the lead up to the match and have my speech prepared because I don't know, like it just. I, I I wouldn't feel I'd be preparing right that kind of way, you know. I'm thinking yeah. of the wrong things. Whereas, um, yeah, I just said like, look, if if we do happen to win, I I I'll I'll start it out. I'll start it out in the few minutes that I have. And yeah, it was grand. It was fine.
2: Talk to us about Colin O'Reardon's return for the final, uh, Connor, because I think he was interviewed afterwards. And I think did he approach you and one or two other players asking you would it be okay? As if that was a difficult answer question for you guys to answer. Um.
3: Yeah, I know. What what you mean? Did he approach us and ask us if it was okay to play, was
2: it? Yeah, would it would it would it would any, would anybody be put out if he came if he came or what your thoughts on it were? Uh,
3: sure I suppose yeah, like the David, the manager, just would have spoken to a few of us and he would have just put it to us saying, like, listen, like um, you know, what what would be your thoughts? I think there was a few senior players he said it to what would you what would your thoughts be on Colin playing? And sure like all our we were all thinking along the same wavelength. Like I mean, he was absolutely we loved having playing. Like he would have been so massive to us, and that's the way it turned out. So, from a player's perspective, like you know, we didn't have any issues with it. Obviously, because we knew how good he was, and obviously someone was going to miss out, which was tough. But I mean, you know, there was a monster final there to be won, and like if you know, this was just one of those things we had to do, and uh, you know. Like, from our perspective, like, we were always going to do it, you know, and it, and it worked out fairly well, to be fair. So, I don't think anyone can have too many complaints, really.
2: Now, isn't it a bonkers year, really, when you think about it? That Colin would never have been playing if it wasn't for COVID. Michael Quinlivan and Liam Casey would have been away travelling if it wasn't for COVID. Cork completely unexpectedly knock out Kerry. It's the bloody Sunday anniversary. Like, I mean, there's so the stars kind of aligned for you, didn't they?
3: Oh, they, they really did, yeah. It was it was a really funny year, but it's, it's gas-like. I, I kind of, I smelled something in the air during the first lockdown. I just got this weird feeling that there, it was going to be one of those years. Um, really? We, we, yeah, yeah. I, and I said it to a couple of people. I said it to even a member of management. We were speaking during the first lockdown and um, we put massive emphasis on, on training during the first lockdown. Individual training, like getting a good base level of fitness into us and so when we returned, you know, we at least we'd have a good base level of fitness so we could focus on the football side of things. And it turned out that that was really important because we only had four weeks collective training before the last two league games. So we returned in, in decent shape and that definitely stood to us. So, yeah, it was definitely a bonkers years. Like, you know, Michael, obviously the traveling brought him home. and. Um, it kept Liam Casey around as well and, and obviously Colin's story and like they were three massive players for us throughout the course of the season so yeah it was really funny the, the stars seemed to align for us and jeez thankfully they did and like you know, this year of all years, like you couldn't write it, column really. No, it was just it was a fairy tale year. Now to be fair,
2: it was because I can only imagine the honour of being given the captaincy, and then you see like Quinlivan and Casey, who are so important. And you see, oh shit, now they're going to be travelling. You know, the like you must have been deflated going into the year before it all started. You know, working out all right. Yeah, I
3: wouldn't. I wouldn't say we were deflated because down through the years we've always kind of there's always been someone. um potentially who could start for us or be involved with us that's not available for some right. reason or another through injury or through, you know, going to Australia or going traveling or just injury. Like there was always been people who haven't been available to us that would have been fantastic players. So it's it, w- it wasn't anything out of the ordinary to us really. But like obviously not having Michael available was massive. You know, he was such a big player for us. But yeah, like it was just like, I mean, like we weren't in a great position going into the lockdown in the league you know we had played five matches and we'd only three points on the board so we were in relegation trouble so yeah. the last two league games for us in return you know you talked about winning a monster championship being important like if we didn't win our last two league games we would have been relegated to division four you know and that would have been catastrophic for football in the county so those two league games were extremely important um, for us to retain our division three status and the knock on effect of winning those two games is you're going into the first round of the championship, you know, with a couple of wins under your belt and you have a bit of momentum and confidence. And, and we never look back after that. So, yeah, the, the year just worked out really well for us, you know, to yeah. be
2: honest. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Like you said, you're putting it down to the bit of training you did maybe in the lockdown that you were able to come back a different, you know, a different team.
3: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's one factor, I suppose. One factor, yeah. Um, like, I just found. You know, when we returned, okay, we had two winnable games in off-league lead from the league. And that obviously helps when, when you're returning to two games that you're looking to win. But I just found as well, like, um, compared to those two teams, we were probably just a little bit fitter and stronger um, in the final quarters of those, of those games. And we seed them out well And against Clare in the first round of the championship. We just seemed to be on it a little bit more. So, yeah, I. I during lockdown, but also. Concentration levels and return as well, so it's a number of factors really, I suppose.
2: Yeah, no, it probably. Come here, I want to ask you about the sideline against Limerick. Like, I mean, there's 30 seconds left in yes. the game. You, you, you look like you were going out. It's on your wrong side. It was did anyone else put up their hand for this, or was this uh, thrown into uh, into your into your lap?
3: Yeah, I just I, I can remember it very clearly. Actually, it's strange how clearly I remember it, and there's not a whole pile to it from my point of view. Like. I just remember the ref rewarding the free from out by the sideline. And I knew Jack Kennedy had gone off the field. He was off with a hamstring injury. Like, that was Jack's side. It would have been his free to take. Right. But he was gone. And, and Michael hadn't taken frees in, in over a year. So he wasn't really an option, even though he he probably fancied himself. But he was actually injured at the time. So, yeah, I just I just went over and I said, I'm having this. And I just remember looking at the clock, and there was about 30 seconds left. And I just said, "I I fancy this here, like, you know. And um, yeah, I just went over, and, and the rest was history. Really, I, I had no intention of going short, or I had no intention of passing it. I just—it's it, funny—the the conditions. I said this before as well. The conditions were actually favourable. I know you, it might sound silly, but the wind was at my back, and it was—it was—it was quite a strong breeze. So I knew if I just put it far enough right, that the wind would take it in, and thankfully it did. And like, it was a matter of inches really, because it came off the post. But. Yeah, really happy. Would have struck it really well, and the minute the minute I left my boot, I knew it was going over. You know, so really, because
2: um, I I was thinking because it yeah. was such a, it was such a good strike, it would have gone over another twenty meters back that you'd hit it maybe too well, and if you hit it too well, it won't yeah. drop back down, and it it almost went the other side of the post.
3: Yeah, sure. Like you know, you talked about fine margins in sport. Like I mean, yeah, geez, the, the way of the post there kept us in the championship, and and look what happened after that that is mad. Really, when you think about it, but. Yeah, it was one of those where like I I wouldn't take it on if I if I didn't feel I was able to score, but um it's not something I'd be practicing a whole pile. You, you'd have the odd go to it, right, but um I don't know. I just I just felt really confident at the time, and I just I just could see myself putting it over really. And tis mad what a bit of visualization can do. And yeah, thankfully it went over. I
2: yeah, and Kamir to the, the the loss against Mayo would that like when you look back on the year like I'm sure you're looking. I don't want to put a, a dampener on the year or anything, but like I mean, your monster champions did the loss against Mayo. I don't know sour it some little bit.
3: Um, I don't think it soured it, but you probably look at it as a you know an opportunity lost again. I mean like listen they were the better team on the day there's no doubt about that like they were just they were just on it way more than we were and they deserved to win but um, we would just be very disappointed with a few aspects of the game I mean we got two early chances in the first few minutes and they fell to the two right lads we just didn't take them so you know Michael and myself would be very disappointed with them and, and then we concede four goals in the first half which you just can't do like against a top team and Mayo uh, were just ruthlessly efficient on the day to be fair you know I yeah. don't think they'd avoid it in the first half and that was the difference between the two teams. They wanted it more than we did, and they were just—they took their chances. We didn't, and you know that's the difference. But it was very disappointing on the day, obviously. And I mean, the dressing room at halftime now was a tough place to be. You know, like that was one of the toughest places I've ever been with a team. But um, we rallied in the second half, and you know, we did a little bit better. But yeah, like it definitely—it it doesn't put a damper on the year. But when you look back at that specific game on its own it's definitely probably an opportunity that has slipped by, you know. So, yeah, but listen, it's it's over now. There's not much we can do about it now, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, no, well, that's the thing. And, uh, like, obviously the amount of goals you missed and your second, you know, you can point to that. You can point to how you rallied in the second half. You can point to Declan Brown joining the, the backroom team. You know, there's plenty of things to be positive. Yeah. You, know, you know, loads of things to be positive about going into this year.
3: Oh God, there is yeah. Like there is to be fair, and um, we've a fairly well. We, we were expecting a fairly quick turnaround from last season. It's, it's obviously played a little bit now, but hopefully we'll be back training in the next four weeks. But or, listen, there's plenty, plenty to be positive about. You know, we're in Division Three again. You know, that must be our first, our first goal is to try and get out of Division Three and up to two because I think we're more than capable of competing up there. So that would be. Um, that would be a long term goal of, of of this year, definitely. And and listen, um there's a Monster Championship there as well to be to be tackled. So yeah, there's plenty to be to be looking forward to. Declan is involved now with the backroom team, so he'll bring his own bit of experience and, and knowledge there and we've a couple of younger players and older players indeed back involved again this year. So um yeah, things aren't looking too bad now. But listen, we've a bit of a target on our back now this year, as you will know going forward, so we'll have to deal with that as well. So yeah, it's exciting now.
2: Sure. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Before you go, uh, are you captain again this year, or has that been announced?
3: Jesus I actually don't know. I don't think we've had any conversation with that yet. Um, so we just have to wait and see. I suppose when we get back, I haven't, I haven't spoken to David about that or anything like that. So who knows? God only knows what will happen. But sure. Yeah. If we'll he says, it.
2: if he we'll say says not, see. if he says nothing, then you're just defaulted as captain anyway. So listen, just don't answer <laughs> the phone. <laughs> yeah. Just. Put, fucking put don't answer on the screen
3: I <laughs> w- roll over
2: come here before I let you go you're back teaching finally Jesus like I mean you have a great union that's all I say you're back in, you're back in class so I'm going to have to let you go you're t- you're back in teaching the six years
3: yeah we're back this week now uh, it's just six years in the school so it's it's only quiet now at the moment actually there's only six years around but um, listen it's it seems to be stepping in the right direction anyway I think the fifth years are due back in a couple of weeks and then that'll take us up to Easter break and I didn't all all secondary school students are, are scheduled back after the Easter break. So listen, fingers crossed it goes ahead because if it does, then more things might open up and we might get back to normality some bit. But um yeah, that's the crack for now. Back in the classroom, thank God.
2: Brilliant stuff. Come here, Connor, thanks very much for taking the call. I'll let you back to, to class. No problem, Willie Mind yourself, good luck. <laughs> And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop, and when I got the chance to go, I said I should stay going. so I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and we're trying hard to make it through, but
3: it's harder to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. I love this county so much, you know,
2: and it's just, I'm
3: delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of war today, because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I am heartbroken.